Tēnā koutou, no mai, hi to mai. Welcome to q and I'm Jack Tang. This morning, just six days from polling day, the power brokers vying to be part of the next government. A Labour-Green government is the most likely outcome of the election. Acts can actually win the election for the right. Our panellists will make their final election picks as we wrap up an extraordinary campaign. Never thought I'd be voting from managed isolation border control. Then, will Donald Trump's COVID-19 diagnosis help or hinder his chances of winning the US election? Reality check is, is hitting Donald Trump square in the face. The people who are being most affected by that virus right now are his supporters. We will head to the US shortly, but we'll begin this morning at home. And one of the big questions for election night and the days that follow is whether or not smaller parties will play a role in forming the next government. This morning we're going to hear from the parties who are most likely to play a supporting role and ask what they would prioritise in coalition and confidence and supply negotiations. New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters declined to be interviewed this morning, but we will speak with ACT in the Māori Party shortly. First though, Green Party co-leaders James Shaw and Marama Davidson. Tēnā kōrua, welcome to Q&A. Morena, Jack, thank you. Marama, I'll begin with you. According to the latest One News Colmar Brunton poll, the Greens have 6% party support. Are you nervous this close to the election? Yeah, absolutely we are. We'd like to be um, a couple of points above that to give us any sort of comfort. This is why we know we have a job to do to make sure that voters understand that Labor need the Greens uh, to go further and faster on climate inequality and protecting our environment, and that's what we are going to be doing till Election Day. James, ACT isn't subject to the same level of nerves because, of course, ACT and National see the value in doing a deal in an electorate. Why does Labor and the Greens not see that same value? Well, first of all, we don't think that we need it. Uh, and, and we don't want to give people an excuse not to vote for us, right? So we, we want to win on our own merits, both in uh, Tamaki Makaurau and in Auckland Central. That's a nice and, sentiment. And, no, I mean, yeah, well, what we, about as, a, as an insurance policy? Well, the insurance policy is people vote for us and get us above 5%. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that is what we're aiming for. That's, that's not an insurance policy, though, that is, is it? I that mean, is the centre of our campaign. We have put out our top election priorities mm. in all the issues that people care about, housing, poverty, climate, environment. Mm. And we are campaigning on the Greens having the plans, because our planet is running out of time, and the Greens have got the solutions to those issues. I, I understand how you're structuring your campaign, but, but we come back to the central question. Mm. Why did National and ACT see the value in an electorate deal, but Labour and the Greens don't. I know we're well, too, on, too honest. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that's it. Well, it's not for the Greens. Our enduring sustainable political life is not power at any cost. Mm. And we've seen around the world, we've seen around the world when smaller parties, people have a different expectation of the Green Party. And so actually the evidence for us shows that sticking to our principles, mm. um, putting ourselves up on merit, is the enduring life, lifetime for the Green so Party. So you'd rather stick to your principles than be in power? It's... it's it's not an either or. It's actually the way to more enduring. But that's, that, that is power, the structure, though, more, isn't it? The way to more enduring influence mm. for the Green Party let, has shown to be sticking to our. Let me, every, we've got an above five percent at every single election since 1999. 
right? And and there's no particular reason to think that we shouldn't be able to do that again today. I know it's a tough operating Have environment. Have you heard for of Jacinda Ardern? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of blocking out the sun yeah. at the moment, right? Which is making it a very tough operating environment. But you know, there are people out there who want her to be the prime minister, who also want the Greens to be part of the next mm. parliament and part of the next government. They don't want Labour to run the country by themselves. Right. They think that they should talk to somebody at least, and they know that that somebody is us. I, I just want to squirrel into this issue a tiny bit more, and then we will move on. If if Labor was open to doing an electorate deal, would the Greens reject that? It's for the members to decide, um, and yes, James and I will have our opinions. What, but what would be again, your opinion, Madam? Again, we have seen from the grassroots members and supporters that people want to see the Greens upholding who we are. So and does that mean you wouldn't support our, a deal? Campaigning on our plans. You can still so campaign people, on those plans. What, yes, what, would, but, what would be your opinion? Well, this though? is my opinion that people expect us to put up the solutions, that they know that it is only the Greens who have got the real action for climate change. So you'd change, reject a deal? that's what people expect us to campaign on. Mm. I, so I, know, I know that, but, but just to answer that question, it, would you support a deal personally or I'm not? I'm not going to give a hypothetical, but I'm, I'm very clear about You just about said you would have an opinion, so you've got, got an, an opinion. I've got an opinion, and I'm making so it what's your opinion? that people expect us to campaign on the merits of our plans and our yeah, solutions. You're not answering me, James. What's your opinion? <laughs> um, actually, I, I, I would... Uh, not be for doing a deal because I think that people expect us to win on mm. our own on our own merits. Okay. Um, I also think if people look at, you know, either Tamaki Makoto or Auckland Central as a, a kind of a lifeboat, mm. then we then actually we would end up below five percent. And actually, what people need to know is we need their vote to stay in Parliament, and that means giving giving us their party vote. So, Madam James has given us his opinion. Can you give us yours? Yes. I did say that it's on merit, and so therefore I'm saying very clearly that it's not the way that I would like to go okay. doing deals. That's great. Thanks. Um, James, would it be good for New Zealand for Labor to govern alone? Uh, no. <laughs> no, we, I mean, I, I actually, and in fact, the vast majority of people, uh, including yeah. Labour Party supporters, yeah. um, think that it is healthy to have a multi-party democracy where the lead party in a government has to talk to at least mm. somebody, um, and and just to make sure that there is a contest of ideas uh, in there. And so, mm. you know, we would concur with that with that opinion. Marama, you have been part of a, a confidence and supply agreement mm -hmm. over the last three years. What have the, th the last three years taught you yeah. about how best to exert power? That we need to continue to share with people that we got stuff done. We got stuff done, we worked productively with Labour, and that it's also important for us to maintain our political independence. Both things are able to happen mm. without blowing up the government, that's been very clear, and that going into next term, that's what our party, that's what our members are talking about, is what we need to protect. But what would you do differently this time, James, if you're in coalition negotiations or confidence and supply negotiations compared to three years ago? What have you learnt over the last three years that will help you to more aggressively pursue your agenda? Well, I, I mean, I, first of all, I think there's a couple of things that uh, people people don't realise about the way that it works. It's actually not as transactional as people think. It's much more relational. Um, and so uh, making sure that you've got high quality working relationships, um, both within your own caucus mm. and, and your own ministers, but across parties is really important. Um, I think that there are some areas where you might want a bit more specificity mm -hmm. in terms of the, you know, the actual agreement. Like, like what, what areas? Well, you know, like, um, you know, for example, in some areas uh, you might want to say, like we would want to pass legislation rather than just to investigate, or you might want a budget number attached, or you know some of those kinds of things. But it's detail. And remember, about 99% of what we've done wasn't in the, co uh, yeah, the confidence, confidence and supply system. agreement. The, it's actually a function of being in government, of having ministers, uh, and being able to mm. 
um, you know, be in a position to, to make those but decisions on a day-to-day -day I mean, you've, you've been criticised as not getting enough, by some, as not getting enough out of your relationship with Labour over the last three years. Well, would, you play, would you play a harder game this time? Again, though? I think that's where, um, if people ha actually have a look at what we managed to achieve, my goodness, ending offshore oil and gas for new permits and exploration, I didn't expect that to actually happen in my political lifetime. The um, world-leading zero-carbon legislation. So, Don't make, you know there are lots of things There are lots of things, so I firstly need to be very clear, if people mm. truly take the time to look at what we achieved, that alone is reason enough for the Greens to be able to come back stronger in the next government and to keep going to push further and faster. James, what do you make of Labor's climate policy release this week? Well, for me, the test of any climate policy is sufficiency. Uh, will um, those policies allow us to stay within that envelope of one mm. and a half degrees of, of global warming? And I have to say, I, I don't think it does, but that's just demonstration of why it is that the Green Party needs to be part of the next government. Marama, are Labor's climate change policies consistent with a... With, with the issue being the nuclear-free moment of this generation? No, I don't think they go um, further and faster enough at all. And I've been very clear. For example, they want to end new installation of dirty burners in industry. Well, James Shaw has been ripping the old dirty mm. ones out already. You know, they want to put money into research in agricultural emissions. Well, we actually want to um, bring them down and have a plan o Obviously, this here. is central to the Greens campaign. Marama, let me ask this. Can Labour alone be trusted to deliver on climate change? Oh, no, not at all. That They need the Greens in there to take the truly progressive and transformational action. What will be your priorities if you do find yourself in coalition or confidence in supply negotiations? Well, we've put out six major policy packages at this election. They are, as Marama mentioned before, housing, uh, income support, mm. um, uh, our farming for the future plan, uh, clean energy, uh, transport oceans. Um, and oceans. And so those are the six things that we're saying, look, and they're, they're very detailed, they're fully yeah. costed, and we're going to be sitting down with Labour and saying, OK, how, how can we get this done? Marama, do you want to be a Cabinet Minister? Uh, that is up to the members, Jack, and that is I've going to I've seen an interview where you've said you want to be. I did not, I did not, and that is going to be up to the members. The, and it and will the spin-off profile. It will be about how we can achieve our work programme. What are the roles necessary to achieve those top election but, priorities? But, but if, you, if you were to be a Cabinet Minister, what portfolio do you think you would create the most change in? Again, I'm not going to um, provide the answer that you're probably looking for, Jack, because I've been very clear publicly this whole campaign, that that is a decision for the members depending on the vote, but we have been upfront about what sort of um, goals we mm. need to achieve. Is New Zealand First finished? Could you work with them again? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's one of the great unknowns of, of this. I, I have to say it's not looking likely, but of course they have come back in the past as well. But I don't think, I think it's a very academic question to say, yeah. well, we have to work with them because the most likely outcome here is that the Greens and Labour will be able to form a government by ourselves and we won't need New Zealand first the way that we did in 2017. The cannabis referendum, I know polls suggest at the moment it is probably not likely to pass. Is that an issue you'll push to the side or will you keep pursuing it as part of a confidence in supply agreement? Again, that is what our members, uh, when we know our numbers, will put on the table, we'll discuss and see where we get to. Um, I don't, I don't want to say that it's likely to fail. I think that I've seen more and more people coming through with a clear understanding of how important it is to approach this as a health issue and not a criminal issue. Right. Marama Davidson, James Shaw, Tina Kōrua. Thanks for your time. We will hear from ACT and the Māori Party shortly, and then record numbers of Kiwis have already cast their votes. Hundreds of thousands of you. So, are our election advertising laws fit for purpose?
Hoki Mayano, welcome back to Q&A. If the polls are to be believed, ACT is set to return to Parliament with significantly more MPs than in the last three parliamentary terms. What will it mean if this time next week the party finds itself in support negotiations? And what will ACT prioritise if it finds itself in opposition? ACT leader David Seymour. Kia ora, welcome to Q&A. Good morning. I want to start with COVID-19. Of course, Auckland has returned to alert level one. We've stamped out COVID-19 as a community transition once again. The government now says a vaccine is likely to be available next year. So if you find yourself at the Cabinet table in the next couple of weeks, what would you change about the ongoing New Zealand response? Look, I think we'd have to go back, actually, to have avoided this lockdown. This one was necessary. But avoiding future lockdowns is going to mean being a lot smarter in our technology. It's about reorganising the way that government approaches COVID. The Ministry of Health, great people, not the right people to develop software or distribute PPE. So you need a Taiwanese-style epidemic response unit. Uh, faster adaptation of things like Bluetooth contact tracing. I think if we'd mm. done that, this latest lockdown could have been over in a couple of days. Instead, we spent six weeks of restrictions on people's businesses, on their way of life, trying to find the source mm. of it. Um, so, look, there'd be some changes around technology, the way we organise the government response. I mean, we, so we spoke to the, the Taiwan government minister, Audrey Tang, mm. um, a mm. few weeks ago mm. about Taiwan's response. Mm. And Audrey said two things were critical. Number one, mm. basically everyone wears a mask, mm. constantly, mm. in Taiwan. Uh, number two, they use cell phone triangulation. So they're able to map people's movements through cell phone triangulation. Would you support both of those measures in New Zealand? Mm. Well, I think, I think I would, because fundamentally, if you can trace uh, COVID rapidly and isolate the cases, then you can stop it without having to have lockdowns. So obviously people are going to say, OK, there's issues mm. around privacy. I think those can be managed. I think data can be anonymized really well. Um, there's masks, are horrible things to wear, as I can tell you, for all my latest taxi and, and plane rides, and people don't like that. But here's the thing. If it means that we can have elimination with no more lockdowns and, critically, actually safely reconnect with the world, knowing that if there is an outbreak, we'll get on top of it quickly. That's going to be vital. You know, it's the RSE workers coming in for horticulture. Mm. Principals in the right. electorate I represent need their international students back. Not just so, you know, big shots from the America's Cup. Actually, the whole economy needs that. So to be clear, should we all be wearing masks now at level one? Yeah, look, I mean, my, my view is that you should be, because if you do have an outbreak... Why aren't you this morning? Well, because <laughs> here we are. Oh, but when you arrived, well, were you well, okay. wearing one this morning? Well, no, I wasn't. And what I'm saying is that, you know, one person doing it's probably they're not going to make the change. Um, but if you you're a political leader. Well, here's the other thing. Um, we actually have the borders all but shut. Uh, so, and we're, and, I mean, so Taiwan we're, would yeah, say okay. the same thing, yeah. but I'm, I'm just going from what, for what Taiwan's government minister, mm. a person who, who is largely yeah. responsible for mm. Taiwan's response, mm. told us, mm. Audrey Tang said the number one mm. most effective mm. thing was getting everyone wearing masks. Yeah. OK, you got me. So I'm not leading uh, the world in mask wearing, but neither is New Zealand. And my point is that we need policies where we're all in it together and we rebuild a country mm. that we can really be proud of if it allows us to safely reconnect with the rest of the world and get all those economic benefits uh, and actually get on top of our debt because we've got an economy that's growing again, especially for people in tourism, uh, then it might be worth it. Mm. Um, should we judge it by whether David Seymour won this morning? Probably not. Six days from the election, what is ACT's path to power? 
Look, what we need to see is, first of all, I think the Green Party will be touch and go, um, and then you've got a gap of about six or seven points between ACT and National on the one hand and Labor on the other. Uh, what that really means is three or four percent of people changing their minds, saying, look, these are the guys that gave us KiwiBuild. Can they really rebuild our country out of this? Can mm. they really get on top of the debt when they took, I think it was a $6 billion surplus to a, a billion-dollar deficit um, in only two years before COVID happened? Uh, you know, these guys are damaging just about every sector, whether it's farming, oil and gas, whatever, uh, people are going to say, actually, we do need a change of direction and we do need a, a genuinely independent so team to hold them all accountable. You clearly, uh, you know, you clearly mm. take a close look at, at, at the polling numbers. Why do you think National is only polling in the low 30s? Um, look, I, I don't know what the reason is. You've ultimately you must, got to you ask must, the voters. You must have a, yeah, but you must, you must have a <laughs> perspective like, on that. Would you like my best speculation? Look, yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, we I, would. <laughs> OK, well, I don't think that's fair because, I mean, I have to come up with, you know, a, a, an agenda uh, and a proposition... But you also consider strategy... Act. No, yep. I know, I know, yep. but, but, I mean, you also consider strategy and your path to power is dependent on, on National as, as the largest support partner. Yep. So why do you well, think... Well, it's, well, well it's, it's dependent on Act and National yes. uh, getting... 61 seats. So what I'm doing is trying to get as many seats as possible for ACT and what people seem to respond to, and you can take this as an answer to your question, is that we need to be consistent, we need to be constructive, we need to show a way that we can adapt okay. more smartly to this virus that's not going anywhere and also get on top of the debt. Now that's that's what ACT's offering. I don't know if National offered more of that, they would do better, but people can give their party vote to ACT and help get not only a change of government but also a change of direction. Let me ask it a different way. Do you do you feel let down by National's campaign? No, I don't. Look, their, their campaign is their campaign. Um, you know, we've even helped by giving them a few policies. Charter schools these days, the best idea they've ever had. Um, and, uh, you know, we're very happy to let them have Do you that. have any advice for them in the week before the polling No, no they, I wouldn't want them to be giving me advice, and, and I think they've got capable people. Do you people. speak with Judith Collins? Uh, not frequently, no. I mean, we're both very focused on the parties that we're leading. Uh, and my job is to mm. offer an option to New Zealanders who want a faster recovery with less debt, and that's what we're offering. If you do find find yourself at the negotiation table in a week's time, what will be your number one priority? Well, it's got to be a smarter approach to COVID. It's got to be getting in place the systems and the technology to maintain mm. elimination with no more lockdowns and then safely reconnecting. Because as I say, you know, principals need their international students back. Mm. Horticulturalists need their REC workers. You know, high-end high, high engineering firms need their specialists to come in. Fishing boats need their crews, which often switch in and out internationally. It's not just people from Prada that are running a big yacht race that need to be able to get in and out of the country. What about if you're in opposition? Is there another member's bill you would prioritise? Look, I, I actually haven't thought that far ahead, um, but I certainly look at some of the things that we have talked about recently. I think the review of Pharmac is absolutely critical because so many people are not getting the drugs that they should get or would get if they were in Australia, for instance. Uh, that's something that mm. could be legislated. Uh, when I look at mental health, what Brooke van Valden is talking about actually getting some structure into mental health so that people have a range of choices and get the treatment that they need. So those are some of the issues that we might look at. I also think mm. our regulatory constitution to stop bad regulation that's stifling so okay. many people trying to make a difference. Do you think Winston Peters and New Zealand First are done? Look, in my view they are, and it's not just from looking at the polling, uh, it's from the way that people talk about them. Uh, you know, fundamentally, uh, they have not managed to keep the promises of New Zealand uh, to all New Zealanders, and that's what they should have done.
If that's the case, will you miss Winston Peters? <laughs> I think you can probably answer that for yourself, James. <laughs> Very droll. David Seymour, Act Leader, Tenakwe. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Send us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at NZQ&A. You can email us Q&A at tvnz.co.nz. The Māori Party are in next. Then, despite a plea from Winston Peters to hold off, hundreds of thousands of Kiwis have cast early ballots, but some are yet to make up their minds. I'm going to have to give myself probably another couple of days to actually decide. Kia ora e te whana. welcome back to Q&A. The Māori Party says it doesn't want to change the Prime Minister and its supporters aren't campaigning for the party vote in this election. But having been turfed out of Parliament three years ago, do they stand any chance of winning a Māori electorate seat and returning to Parliament? Māori Party co-leader John Tamahiri, tēnā koe, welcome Kira, to Q&A. Right then, what's your path to power? Which electorate do you think is your best chance for winning a Māori seat? Look, in all the Māori TV polls, uh, clearly uh, the undecideds rule the day, mm -hmm. um, bar one. Okay, so we're, we're uh, on, on basis of those polls, we stand a good chance uh, if the sentiment continues to shift across to us. So uh, on numbers alone, that would be um, Waiariki to Taihaururu, um, and we await Tamaki Makoto poll this evening on Māori TV. All right. So which of those do you think, Waiariki or Hoauru? Uh, well, you can toss a coin. That's, they're both on a knife edge. Yeah. Okay, and so uh, Debbie Narua-Paka, um, in the event that Labour pitches up a leader for Marae, uh, will debate the leaders um, of Labour and the Greens uh, later on on Marae. Mm. If uh, Labour chooses not to turn up, well, they won't. OK. In Thursday's leaders' debate, you said you would only work with Labour if you do find yourself in Parliament. But the last time you were on Q&A in March, you said you were open to working with either of the major parties. So what, what's changed? Uh, COVID changed everything, right? This is on 27th. 27th of March changed everything. So um, uh, then there was just this red tsunami coming for everybody. You've just been talking about it with the other leaders. Um, and so you've got to change up and change out your strategy. And our strategy then had to shift to uh, getting a liberated Māori voice uh, by voting the Māori candidates uh, into, our mm. into our electorates because our but, people but, have shown but, since but, but why, why not with National, though? No, no, well, Nationals' uh, change of leader, because they had a merry-go-round there of, mm. of three, and as soon as Crusher came along, and you see, if you look at um, uh, Judith and uh, um, David Seymour, uh, you're looking for us in our communities out of Bodicea and a, and a sort of like Genghis Khan. And so what, that, makes it, that makes, us very, makes it very difficult for us to do any business with them, because their policies are so... It's going to make it difficult there. for you once you go backstage <laughs> and see David again as well. <laughs> oh, no, David, no. He's a professional, and I'm a professional. <laughs> no. and, and after we come off the playing field, uh, yeah, we, yeah. we've got to be good to OK, so basically you don't like Nationals leaders. That's it. And you don't think that your supporters will support you going into any sort of coalition? No, we know. We, we, on polling uh, okay. that they want a Māori Labour Party coalition. Does that mean that, um, that, that when you joined the Māori Party, thinking previously that you could have worked with Nationals, that you were out of step with your supporters, JT? Oh, that's possible, but you've got to keep everything on the table in light of what evidence and information is on the table. Mm. And at that time, there was uh, a guy called Simon Bridges around. They've changed leader twice. So you personally mm. like Simon Bridges? No, I uh, saw that the way the voting was going in February... So you're, mm. you're going back to a pre-COVID period. No, but I'm, just, I'm interested to know whether or not you are representative of the people whom you're asking to vote for. No, I'm, I'm representative of making very good evidence-based decisions on behalf of my people. Right. Mm. Um, if you find yourself in negotiations, what policies will be at the very top of the list for the Māori Party? Well, I'll give you an example, um, because they're multiple. Uh, we uh, contract cancer 10 years ahead of anybody else, but they won't screen us 
10 years ahead. If we had equality of opportunity in the country, that means all Pākehā would only be screened at 70. Mm. And we, we die a gory death, and that's just unacceptable, uh, that you have state-sponsored mm. lockout of Māori being screened for cancer. Uh, that's, just, that's just one of the perversions of the system. And, you know, look, my Māori colleagues in Labour and the Greens Marama couldn't say that, but we have to speak our truth, and that's the truth. If you don't get in, will you stand down? Oh, no, no, I've committed myself to uh, the consistency of building an enduring Māori political movement. And um, Māori's never lose. Uh, we, we advance ten steps and get pushed back eight. So after this election, in terms of our policy platform, uh, our people <coughs> up and down the country mm. from, and, and our big voters will be 30s to 45s. Mm. Uh, and that cohort will carry the day so in the very near future. So you would remain, you would want to remain as the Māori Party co-leader after this election? Well, it's a gift I can't give myself. But, I, but I what would you back. want? What would you personally want? Well, I've got to be in and around, I'm better at administration, organisation and putting, in spite of governments, good programmes out into the communities. So that means mm. that you're not committed to, to remaining as the Party co-leader? It depends what the, what the membership say. OK, well, it, it, what would be your opinion though. If well, the membership is open to it, what would you well, of want course, to do? Of course uh, leadership would, would stay. So you would want to stay? I've committed to the movement. I've committed I know you've children. committed to the movement, yeah. but I just want to be really clear. If you don't get into Parliament, you want you personally want to stay on as the Mark yeah, Party co-leader? Mm. OK. Do you think New Zealand First and Winston Peters are finished? Yeah, I, I look, I, I've, seen it, um, I've seen Winston campaign for years, right? And um, uh, I think even in his own spirit, uh, on, on some of the debates, that comes across. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, it's not, I don't like to see the death knell of such mm. a great politician uh, who's, who's stretched across two centuries, <laughs> um, you know, uh, come, come to a, a, a close like this, and nor does he. But I think, I think they're in real trouble, right? And, um, uh, and, I, and it's just regretful to see uh, the passing away of that. All right. Thank you for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Māori Party co-leader John Tamahiri. Election 2020 has already seen record numbers head to the polls. As of Friday, more than 700,000 early voters had cast their ballot, and this weekend, half a million people are expected to vote. There's going to be no one left to vote next Saturday. The number of Kiwis overseas who've downloaded voter registration forms is also up 70% on the last election. Of course, it's been called the COVID-19 election, and reporter Fina Owen takes a look at what makes this an election like no other. When will this end? The election campaign. This long build-up to the election night ends in six days, but it's already over for hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders. Yes, we just voted about an hour ago, actually, just up the street. Yes, I've done it, voted. And this weekend has seen a massive voter turnout. Advance voting this time round has far exceeded last election's numbers. So this is uh, HQ. In election 2020's Orange Nerve Centre in Wellington, this man, Graham Astle, is in charge of voting services and wrapped with the voter turnout. It's school holidays. Uh, the weather's been really good and people have been getting out and about. And this election, there are many more voting places set up. Advanced voting makes it easier to observe COVID protocols and process votes. 
advance voting is a big cultural shift away from the occasion of voting on one day. And not everyone's free on just the one day, and when it is just the one day, there are crowds that, you know, everything takes for hours. While the two larger parties are urging us to vote early, New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters says hang back, and he's also questioning the hoardings, campaign advertising during advance voting. You can trust us to get it done. Here we've got a circus going on. We're on the, uh, at 6pm on the 16th of October. Down comes all the hoardings and you can't be within a cooey of a polling booth with any advertising whatsoever. Meanwhile, all these weeks we've been doing just that. Along with the increase in advance votes here, the numbers of New Zealanders living out of the country registering to vote is also well up on last election. So the number of people who have downloaded their voting papers from overseas to date is 70% up on the last election. Political scientist Jack Foles. Uh, one wonders uh, whether the, that's a reflection of those people wanting to return whether it's a reflection of the performance of our government relative to that of other governments and most Kiwis overseas will be in the UK or the United States countries which have made a shambles out of the whole process. In this COVID election, those New Zealanders already returned and in quarantine can vote thanks to a change in electoral regulations. Working with the agencies involved with those who are in quarantine, we estimate that that could be as many as 5,000 voters. So in managed isolation facilities around the country, people who won't be out by election day can vote over the phone. People like Andrew Sewell recently arrived from Los Angeles a few days ago. He voted and filmed it for us. I'd like to register to vote, please. I'm in managed isolation. He's voting via an adapted version of the dictation system set up for sight impaired voters. I can confirm that you are going to vote in the electorate. Never thought I'd be voting from managed isolation border control. Down on the street, somewhere among the hordes of decisive voters, are the fence-sitters, the swinging voters. According to the latest Colmar Brunton poll, undecided voters make up 13% of people enrolled to vote. Without swinging voters, we wouldn't have any electoral change, so they're the most important people in a way. Or undecideds. A lot of the people who say they're undecided in an opinion poll may well end up not voting anyway. <laughs> In Dunedin, Otago University students' votes have been courted by visiting politicians. I feel like the smaller parties are like, in a sense, like a waste of vote. Like, Why? But this group of first and second time voters aren't easily persuaded. They are some of the undecideds. I mean, right now, I've honestly, I'm still just lost. I have no clue. Just don't know who to vote for, really. <laughs> I think at the moment I've kind of narrowed it down between two parties. And yet another first for election 2020. People will now be able to enrol and vote on election day. So those 11th hour voters will still be able to have their say. I'm going to have to give myself probably another couple of days to actually decide. Talk to my family and friends and do a bit more reading, I guess. And hopefully by the end of the week I can uh, hopefully plan to give us something and be able to vote. Fina Owen with that report. The panel is in after the break, and then in these hyper-polarised times, are there any undecided voters in America? And what can Donald Trump do to win them over?
This is someone who is allergic to ideology. That's one of the reasons people liked him. He was not a standard issue Democrat or Republican. Hawkey, my welcome back to Q and A. This has been a most unusual election campaign, with less, with less than a week to go before election night itself. A lot of Kiwis just want it done. Of course, the polls have consistently favoured Labour, but is there any chance Judith Collins can pull off the perfect triple axel and score a surprise result? Our panel this morning: lawyer and unionist Lisa Metal Fox, and Ben Thomas, PR consultant and former national staffer. Kia ora kōrua. So, as of Friday, 700,000 Kiwis had already voted. The Electoral Commission's expecting half a million Kiwis to cast votes this weekend. What do you put that level of early voting down to, Lisa? I think it's COVID. I think people are worried we might go back into lockdown, and so they want to get it done now. Do you think people are sick of this campaign, Ben? Is that part of it as well? Yeah, the, <laughs> the real virus is a campaign that lasts forever. Um, I think that people have, have made up their minds uh, in, a, in large part and just want the whole thing to be done. What does that mean from a campaigning perspective for the parties with six days to go? I mean, it, it makes it much harder for people like New Zealand First. You know, if you assume that the polls were right last week, that means that they have to actually get much more than 5% of the remaining voters uh, over mm. to their side. So it means that your, your attempts to win over new voters have to be sort of more extreme, a bit more desperate. But look, the other thing is that with MMP, every vote does count. It's not winner takes all like the American elections. Mm. Uh, every vote will contribute towards, you know, maybe another national list MP, maybe another Labour list MP, to whether the Greens mm. get into Parliament. So there's still every reason to get out there and vote for people who haven't done so yet. Lisa, do you get a sense from some voters that people think this election and the result is a foregone conclusion? Yeah, definitely. I think most people think it's going to be Labour um, and probably Labour Greens. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, though, to consider the, what National can do at this stage of the campaign. They had a bit of a topsy-turvy week by most accounts. I want to begin with the events on Ponsonby Road, where mm -hmm. Judith Collins was walking along and randomly bumping into some of her biggest supporters. Um, let's have a look at the moment she was confronted about that. Walkabout was a little bit of a sham, wasn't it? I mean, you guys got your National Party supporters to come around the street and act like they were ordinary members of the public coming up to talk to you. No, I've got a lot of supporters here in Auckland Central and they wanted the opportunity to meet Judith, so I invited them along. There are very few people, um, very, very little foot traffic in Ponsonby Road. Lisa, what did you think of how that event played out? Yeah, I thought it was pretty embarrassing. Like, uh, yeah, it's like, I guess because Jacinda is so loved by people, maybe Judith wanted to get that vibe going, but when they got snapped, it was pretty shameful. That being said, I mean, all, all parties, any organised party would surely arrange for a few supporters to be on a walkabout, wouldn't they, Ben? Well, look, there's a level of artificiality about every campaign. Uh, you know, the Prime Minister is, yeah, sure, mobbed in Littleton, but she's not campaigning at an open home where people are having to spend eight times their median income to get into their first house. She's not campaigning at uh, emergency accommodation motels full of vulnerable people without homes. Uh, so, you know, there, there is a bit of fakery involved in all of mm. this. The problem for National, of course, is that it was so sort of obvious that 
it was as if they were, you know, standing on a stage set and, you know, the building fronts just started falling down around them. Um, and, you know, it was the proverbial not a good look um, and, and just another sort of kick in the guts for their campaign so far. Yeah, speaking of not a good look, of course, we had the fiasco with uh, MP Denise Lee, who sent a strongly worded email to the entire caucus that was then leaked to the media, an email in which she was complaining about the behaviour of Judith Collins. Mm. How did you think that played out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's when people are losing, they start infighting and it just showed that even the caucus perhaps don't think that Judith is a good leader and leading um, in a way that might be more cohesive. Mm. Yeah. Is, it, is it just a case of MPs who are starting to feel very concerned about their political futures getting desperate, Ben? I think some national MPs and candidates are starting to lose their nerve and that's obviously not good for them. It doesn't help Denise Lee uh, to get over the line in Maunga Kiakia, which will be a close race this time, uh, to look like she's at war with her leadership. Uh, it doesn't help the party in general when MPs start taking the National Party branding off their ad advertising. I, there was a Facebook ad which uh, had Melissa Lee campaigning for the candidate vote in Mount Albert with no National Party branding. Mm. I mean, Melissa Lee is standing against the most popular Prime Minister in recent history in Mount Albert, has absolutely no chance of winning the electorate, but is actually relatively high on the national list and should be doing everything she can to get that party vote up. So why would she do that? I think pressure makes MPs do some Poor, make poor decisions, right. and Spe that seems to be what's happening here. Well, well the, we've got another example here. Let's have a look at the uh, Facebook post that was shared by MP Alfred Ngaro last night. Now, um, this was <laughs> criticised by many. He sees talking about his uh, opponent there, Phil Twyford, and uh, you can see some of the, the claims that that post makes that are patently untrue. Um, Judith Collins was somewhat reserved in criticising Alfred Ngaro's post, but again, do you think this is an MP who probably senses his job is on the line? I think Alfred Ngaro's fate was sealed when he got that low list ranking, and I think it's unfortunate because Alfred Ngaro is a guy who's got a lot to contribute uh, to the community and to politics, but instead, over the last year and a half, he's really gone down this kind of religious, almost zealous or mm. zealot kind of path, um, which I think is, you know, a, a real shame and a real loss. Lisa, does National have a path to power? No, I don't think so. I think it's pretty clear that, yeah, they're on a hiding to nothing, and yeah. And there's a there's nothing they can do. What do you think, Ben? Well, look, there's still everything to play for. You know, a few thousand votes can be another seat. Um, so, you know, there's no reason to give up. Uh, but I, I would not be ordering champagne for election night if I was the National Party. What do you think, Lisa, would be a good result from this stage with the polls as they are? What would be a good result for National on election night? I think probably 35%. I think traditionally um, their voter base has been 40%, but I think um, people are just so grateful to be living in New Zealand um, with the leadership of Jacinda and they just have to look across the you know, ditch at Australia to see how bad things have been. Um, that people who that perhaps you know would have normally voted national are voting Labour. Mm. That's certainly what I'm hearing from people like my grandmother's um, friends, who are all you know farmers' wives, is how they describe themselves. That they will be voting um, Labour this time. So yeah. Ben, what do you think is a good result for National on election night? 
in the context that we're currently in, uh, you know, as of today, I think 35% would be an outstanding result for National. Um, you know, this is just not their year. What do you think is a likely result? I, I think we're in line for, for the polls, you know, 32, 33. Mm. Let's talk about New Zealand first. Some interesting comments from Winston Peters this week, urging people not to early vote. Let's hear, to Mr. Uh, hear from Mr Peters. Well, I'd advise everybody to vote on Election Day because there are clangers being dropped every day which will influence the way the election will be run. And if you've already voted and then you find that the party you supported can't even do their mathematics, then maybe you should wait till Election Day. Lisa, what did you make of his comments telling people not to early vote? Yeah, I kind of get where he's coming from because there are new things coming out every day. Um, and my, me, myself, I was thinking I wanted to make, you know, like a day of voting on election day. Um, I guess maybe it is a little bit of his usual thing saying that, you know, polling's not true. And I guess if he can say, well, you know, my constituents are waiting till election day to vote, then perhaps they might be able to pick something up there. Is it a democratically responsible thing to do? To, to encourage people to, I mean, to be fair, he wasn't saying don't vote. He was just saying, wait until election day to vote. Yeah, I don't think it's undemocratic, um, but I guess with COVID and the uncertainty, um, yeah, as we discussed before, a lot of people are wanting to get in while we are mm. at alert, alert level one, and yeah. What did you think, Ben? Well, let's not forget Labour's tax policy changed after early voting had already started and the Prime Minister and the former Prime Minister, Alan Clark, had cast their ballots in the last campaign. So I think from an, a best practice perspective, the Deputy Prime Minister is probably right that you would wait until polling day to have all of the information available to you. But look, people aren't voting on policies during this campaign. They're voting on the trust in the government from the COVID response and I don't think it'll make much of a material difference. Um, do you think New Zealand First is done? Yes. Lisa, do you think New Zealand First is done? Yes. What about the Greens? It was interesting to hear Marama Davidson and James Shaw. They took a little, <laughs> little bit of pushing this morning, but both saying they wouldn't support having an electorate deal, not even an electorate such as Auckland Central. What do you think their, are their chances of returning? I think this, their floor is about 5%. Um, they have that kind of wounded animal sort of look. Uh, where people, you know, various wavering left supporters will kind of rush to their aid and <laughs> cover their body um, and they'll make it over the line. What do you think, Lisa? Yeah, I think Ben's right. Um, I think, you know, I've been talking to some union people who would traditionally be voting Labour, um, but they understand that it's important for the left that the Greens are in Parliament, um, and so they will be voting Green just to make sure they get over the line. I mean, Marama Davidson said to us this morning that principles are more important to her than power. But I just wonder if she'll be saying that if the Greens come through at 4.8% next weekend. Well, the Greens will be able to continue to exist even if they don't make it into Parliament. They're not a one-man band, the same as New Zealand First. Uh, they are a, they're, they're an organisation with a long history. So it wouldn't be fatal to them if they uh, mm. fell below the threshold. Uh, it may even invigorate their grassroots. But at the same time, you would prefer to be around the table making gains like the Zero Carbon Act. Do you think of the smaller parties, Act is in line to be the biggest winner next weekend? Yes, I mean, their, their polling has been, you know, really out of the box. And um, 
you know, so that, that in, in a campaign that's probably a bit short of surprises, uh, the big surprise will be who are these people mm -hmm. <laughs> on the act list? Um, and, and we'll have three years of discovery ahead of us. The Māori Party, any chance they will be returned to Parliament, Lisa? I'd like to think so, actually. I think it's been, um, yeah, to use Ben's words, reinvigorating for the party um, to be out this time and that they have come back firmly left, um, you know, campaigning on things like a $25 minimum wage. Um, and a capital gains tax, and I see. A, <laughs> and a capital gains tax and rent control. And they're the only party who are advocating... <laughs> Good luck that. passing those things at the <laughs> moment, but yeah. Sure. Um, I'd like to think so, but... I. People I've talked to have said probably not. All right. A week out, then, what are your final predictions? What do you think we're going to be talking about this time next week? How are the numbers going to shake down? I think that we'll probably be talking about whether the Greens will pick up one or two extra votes in the specials, and we'll be talking about whether Labor invites the Greens to join them voluntarily in government. OK. What do you think, Lisa? Yeah, I think it will be a Labor-Green coalition, um, and I agree that they'll probably be talking about what that's going to look like in terms of a coalition agreement and what perhaps bottom lines isn't a word the Greens would like to use, but yeah, what they, positions they'll get and what positions they won't get in policies and things. All right. Thanks very much for your time and insights this morning, guys. We really appreciate it. Ben Thomas and Lisa Metal-Fox. After the break, what does Donald Trump's behaviour tell us about how he'll react to the US election results? He lives in the present tense. He does not accept the idea that there's a past or a future. Tēnā koutou, welcome back. Even by Donald Trump's standards, the last couple of weeks at the White House have been remarkable. The president is back at work after being treated in hospital for COVID-19. And though national polls show him well behind Democrat Joe Biden, the prospect of a contested election result looks increasingly likely. Mark Fisher is a Pulitzer Prize winning senior editor at the Washington Post. He's the author of Trump Revealed, an American journey of ambition, ego, money and power. And I asked him to assess the White House's handling of Donald Trump's COVID-19 diagnosis. This is a president who likes to not only control everything, but also he likes to create news every day. He likes to use every day as an opportunity to put himself back in the center spotlight. Uh, and so he's come up with a new virus-related story every day uh, about his uh, miraculous uh, recovery and his ability to resume uh, not only the job of the president, but uh, the, the campaign work that he has ahead of him in the waiting days of this uh, election campaign. So. He is very much trying to change the storyline on the, the uh, virus so that Americans buy his notion that the mm. virus is really no big deal and that uh, he's overcome it and they can too. It's very interesting to consider these developments from a campaign strategy perspective. And I noted during the vice presidential debate, Kamala Harris didn't once criticise the president for having COVID-19 or insinuate that perhaps he had COVID-19 because he had uh, actively ignored public health advice. What do you think the president's diagnosis will mean for the state of the race? I think what we've seen in the initial polling, both after the first debate and after the president's diagnosis, is a significant weakening of his position. The diagnosis has rattled some of his marginal supporters. So if you think of his base as a hardcore who will support him no matter what, in his famous phrase, he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and they'd still stick with him, 
But beyond that, much larger group are people who were marginal Trump voters. These are people who just didn't like Hillary Clinton last time and instead support Donald Trump. They are up for grabs, and I think they are rattled by this diagnosis. See, that's interesting, because looking at the U.S. from the outside, given how polarized politics are in America at the moment, it seems hard to believe there would be any undecided voters. But there are. And in fact, uh, polling pretty consistently shows that somewhere between 6 and 12 percent of the populace is undecided. Then in addition to that, you have people who are supportive of, of Donald Trump, but are themselves marginal voters. They're people who generally do not vote. What Donald Trump achieved four years ago, which was remarkable, is he brought out a number of those very marginal voters, generally voters uh, with less education, mm -hmm. lower income, uh, white Americans who uh, have given up on the system. He brought them back in. Now, can he keep them there at a point where they no longer trust what he says about the coronavirus because they see in their own community just how devastating this has been? So how will that play out when the president tries to rewin those states come November? That's where the uh, reality check is, is hitting Donald Trump square in the face. He is sticking to his notion that the virus is no big deal and people should just go back to their regular lives. But the people who are being most affected by that virus right now are his supporters. And so they are dealing with this disconnect between what their president says and what they see right in front of them. And what we're seeing in these extraordinary new polls uh, with big margins for Joe Biden is the result of that disconnect. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I suppose given the state of COVID-19 in the United States at the moment, it's understandable. But from the outside, at least, something that has been noticeably absent from this campaign so far is, is the lack of substantive, uh, substantive policy debate. If Donald Trump wins another four years in the White House, what is likely to drive his policy agenda? Donald Trump and policy agenda really don't fit in the same sentence or the same paragraph. What he is is someone who's all about this moment, right now. He's about what will get him at the center of the news, what will bring him the most attention and the most popularity among his base. That could mean anything when it comes to policy. This is someone who is allergic to ideology. That's one of the reasons people liked him. He was not a standard-issue Democrat or Republican. He was not really a, an easily slotted Republic, uh, liberal or conservative. He's done a few things to keep his, the conservatives on board with him, appoint conservative judges, that sort of thing. But he has divorced himself from traditional Republican positions on lower taxes, smaller government. He's not their man for that kind of thing. Is Joe Biden campaigning smart? Biden is playing it very cautiously, very, uh, very reserved kind of approach. Part of that is forced upon him by the coronavirus, the inability to go out and hold big events and press the flesh. And so part of that is not his fault. But part of this is very much by design. He is, uh, he realizes he has a significant lead. He has made Donald Trump the, the subject of this uh, campaign. And as long as this is a referendum on Trump, Biden has very good chances. Uh, we perhaps we'll get one more debate. And uh, in that debate, Joe Biden is going to be very cautious. Donald Trump is going to be slashing. He's going to be fighting for his political life. Uh, and so we may not see quite a repeat of the farce that we saw in the first debate, extreme interruptions and so on. But I think we will again see Donald Trump being as harsh as he can. He wants to rattle Joe Biden. He wants mm -hmm. to get him stuttering. He wants to get him uh, off his prepared lines. And from Joe Biden, we'll see someone who's trying to communicate that he is the rational 
professional player here, that he is calmer, that he is someone who is going to at least try to bring people together. Uh, he kind of lost that thread uh, in the first debate when he uh, took on Trump. Uh, I think you'll see him trying to be more reserved in a second debate. Mark, what's the likelihood we won't have a comprehensive, final, clear-cut result on polling day itself? And if we don't, when can we expect it? It's a strong likelihood, uh, unless there is a clear landslide for Joe Biden and a landslide in those states that count absentee ballots early. Uh, the states are divided. Some allow for those mail-in ballots to be counted ahead of time, and then the uh, news is released along with the rest of the electronic voting. Other states don't even allow that counting to begin until after Election Day is over. In those states, the count could go on for weeks. Uh, there is a legal limit to how long it can go on. That would take us into early to mid-December. So this could be a long, stretched-out affair, as we saw in 2000 in the Bush versus Gore race, I think more likely we may have a clear uh, decision on election night, especially if these large margins that Joe Biden now has continue to hold. But Mark, you, you are someone who takes a real macro perspective. How do you feel about the likelihood of a contested result? This won't be like Bush and Gore in 2000 in that one party will step down for the, for the sake of the country. You, you must feel a sense of anxiety. I think there's considerable anxiety around the country. Uh, there's considerable anxiety about what might happen on Election Day itself. Uh, there are any number of armed groups, militias, uh, generally right-wing groups that have threatened to uh, come to some of the polling places, and uh, they say it's to protect voters, but uh, obviously it's to intimidate voters. So I don't think we'll see overt violence on Election Day. Certainly, we hope not. I, I think you're right. There is a, uh, a possibility that this will be a much more divisive, uh, much tenser kind of uh, aftermath of Election Day than we saw in 2000. And, uh, and yet, we're starting to see among Republicans, especially among Republican leaders, Mitch McConnell, the head of the Republican party in the Senate and some of the others, that they are looking now to protect their majority in the Senate. They're kind of edging away from Donald Trump because they realize that he may well lose this race and they want to at least retain control of the Senate. If Trump does lose, will he leave the office peacefully? <laughs> He doesn't really have a choice. Uh, and so there's been a lot of uh, worry on the Democratic side that he'll refuse to leave, that he'll continue to contest this race. Uh, but the way the system works, uh, he, uh, the, the inauguration day will come and he will simply no longer be president. Uh, and uh, it's, it's hard to imagine that he would actually cling to sitting in the White House itself physically. Is, is that hard to believe? <laughs> it is. I, I've spent a long time... Uh, studying his life and wrote a biography of him. Yeah. Uh, and have, there are many occasions throughout his life when he has lost and failed. That's really the story of his career more than victories are. And in every single one of those cases, when he loses, he vanishes. He's out of there and you don't even see him for a while. And he reinvents himself and he comes up with a whole new uh, uh, line of business. So that we can expect him to become, perhaps he'll sit in your chair. He, he's going to be uh, a, a television personality He's going to run a television network. He's going to create an alternative to Fox News. All of those are strong possibilities. Mm -hmm. But uh, his pattern is that when he loses, he's gone, and it's as if it never happened, because yeah. he lives in the present tense. He does not accept the idea that there's a past or a future. Q&A with Donald Trump.
They'd have to change the background, eh? Otherwise you just lose them. <laughs> that was Mark Fisher, senior editor at the Washington Post. His book is Trump Revealed, an American Journey of Ambition, Ego, Money and Power. Kuomutu, that's Q&A for this week. We're going to have the final leaders debate with Jacinda Ardern and Judith Collins on Thursday evening at 7pm on TVNZ1. And the One News team will broadcast an election night special next Saturday. And as well as that, we're going to have a special two-hour Q&A next Sunday morning starting at 8 o'clock where we will wrap up all of the results. Until then, thanks to the Q&A team. Marae is up next. Hey Tera Wiki, we'll see you next week. Bye. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.